Whatever that God is out there, whatever's on the other side, we're trying to get there and make contact with him. So many uh, occult religions will use witchcraft spell books that you can buy right there at the bookstore, uh, and even psychedelic drugs to try to make contact with whatever is there on the other side. And then maybe in contrast to this is Islam, who would teach that Allah is there on the other side, but don't bother trying to have a relationship with him. He is too transcendent for you, and you cannot reach him and his great glory. And so how profound that all of the world's religions are trying to seek whatever that God is out there and get there to him. And what we have read in the pages of the scripture is that he has come to us, right? Now that ought to set the heart aflame. Now, what is so hard about living in a wonderful place like where we live, in any affluent culture, the heart begins to grow kind of cold to a truth like that, right? Should we not walk up and down these streets telling everyone that God has come to us? Should all of our coworkers not know the gospel right now because of the fire in our hearts to move us to tell them? Should that affect how we drive up and down these roads and how we live in our house? We should live with our hearts aflame at this truth. But we both know that's not easy to do, is it? Uh, in an area like this especially, it's a common problem in affluent cultures. Uh, the cares of the world begin to rise up and begin to choke out our faith. And we wind up kind of lukewarm in our faith. And so many of us here this morning, although we were just pretty excited there for a minute, as we look at the whole of our lives, we would say, I know these things are true. I know the Bible teaches them. I know I should be fired up about them. But if I'm honest, I'm not as fired up about this stuff as I should be. And that is exactly what the words that we're going to read in the scriptures help us with today. I am convinced that one reason we have a hard time burning a flame for our Lord is because we underestimate how much his heart burns a flame for us. So today, if you're just joining us, we're going to finish out this prophecy from Isaiah uh, in which we have seen him ascribe to our Lord four incredible double names that we've been walking through for the last four weeks. And we're going to focus on the very last words this week, the words, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let me read for you Isaiah 9 verses 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian." For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. These words are the words of the Lord, and today we focus on that very last line. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Through those words, the Spirit who inspired them today stirs the hearts of his people by showing us how stirred his heart is for us. Now, when he says the zeal of the Lord of the hosts will, will do this, what is this? What is, what is the Lord doing? Well, the, the message of this whole prophecy here is, is just profound. It's that God is going to become man to save his people. That's what we've been walking through all of these weeks. The people of God have been walking in darkness in the land of the shadow of death. Here in this land where enemies like sin and death reign and it is dark, but a light is going to shine in and instead of the darkness of death, there will be the light of life. A life-giving light is going to come. And the way it says that's going to happen is a child is going to be born. Uh, This child will be king of all the earth and will have a government that will never end. But he won't just be a child, a male child, a man. He will also be God, it says. His name will be Wonderful Counselors. He he is the Wonderful One. Uh, His name will be Mighty God because this will be God who becomes man. And when he does, he will then rule forever. So God is going to come to earth to save his people and rule forever. That's what Isaiah is saying here. We know from our New Testaments the name of this God come to earth to save his people and rule forever. We know this is Jesus Christ who was born of the Virgin Mary and whom shepherds saw angels sing glory to him and they came and they worshipped him and who the wise man came and worshipped and gave gifts to him who then grew up and became a man and walked the earth and healed the sick and healed the blind and raised the dead and taught truth with authority and showed that he was the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and who then died to pay for the people's sin so that we could go before God and say, my sin is forgiven because Jesus Christ has died to pay for it, and then rose from the dead to guarantee us eternal life so that we can lie on our deathbeds shouting, the Lord will provide for me, I will live forever even as I die. As Jesus says, blessed is the one who dies in the Lord, for though he dies, he lives. And then he ascended up into heaven, and he promised that he would come back to rule forever. And when he does, he will raise the dead, and the, the, those who are his will be welcomed into everlasting life with him, and those who have refused him and are dead in their sins will be sent to everlasting judgment forever. He will set up upon this earth a kingdom of kingdoms that will never end. That's what Isaiah says is going to happen as it's unfolded in the New Testament. That is what we call the good news of the gospel. And my call to you is to to trust in that news, to look to that Jesus, to save you from sin, from judgment, to be Lord in your life, to raise you from the dead, and to give you eternal life. Those things are free gifts to all who will receive Jesus Christ. So I call you, receive that Jesus Christ. Now, 
That is a wonderful thing. I mean, we look at that and we, we wonder at it. It had to be even more wonderful to Israel who had not heard that it already happened, right? For them to hear God is going to become man to save us and rule forever. How could that be? Surely they would ask, along with the Virgin Mary who hears the angel's words and says, this is wonderful. How can, how can this be? And so as the people hear Isaiah's prophecy and they wonder in their hearts, how could these things be? Those last words answer that question. How could God come to earth to save his people as a man? The zealous love of God for his people. That's how. The intense emotion and affection that God feels for his own. That is how God would come to earth as a man to save his people. When we see that word zeal, you don't hear that word very often. Probably didn't think you'd hear it 20 times in a Christmas Eve sermon, but here you are. Uh, we see that word zeal and we wonder, okay, what does that mean? Uh, zealousy, zeal, is uh, an intense feeling of something. You can be zealously angry. You can love someone zealously. You can be loyal to someone zealously. You can believe something zealously. Uh, it is uh, very similar to the concept of heat and hotness. And often when we say somebody's really hot right now, right, it's because they're very zealous or they're very angry, right? Uh, it teaches us that God looked to his people with not an obligatory, well, I promised I would go and save them, so I guess I will go and save them now, but with a fire in his heart and a fire in his eyes that said, as I promised in my zeal I would go and do for them, I will now in my zeal go and do for them. So it's a word that can be used of any intense emotion or any intense thing that someone can feel. And it's used of God in many places in the Bible. And so, really what Isaiah is telling us here, his point, and our only point this morning, is that when God came to earth to save us, he did it with all of his heart. Now, that can be kind of hard for us to imagine. Um, a lot of times we imagine God as if he's like a stoic statue that is unaffected by the things of the world. And sometimes we do that for good reason. We want to defend some important biblical truths. Like, for instance, uh, the Bible teaches that God is unchanging. James says there is no shadow and variation in him due to change. He's unchanging, right? So that means he's not one way today and another way tomorrow. And that's really good because he's got some promises to keep. And so if he's a God who keeps his promises today, well, we need him to be a God who keeps his promises tomorrow. So very important that God is unchanging. And we can, though, begin to take things a little too far when we try to deny that God reacts from his unchanging nature to real things that happen here in this changing world and our changing hearts. So... When his people are suffering and in need, well, his unchanging nature is compassionate, and so he responds in compassion to his people. When people rail and sin against him and, and hate him, well, his unchanging nature is he, he abhors sin and he hates it, and so he responds in anger to that. 
So from his unchanging nature, he responds to this changing world and our changing hearts. And that means that it is possible to activate his compassion in your suffering. It is possible to plead to him and, in a sense, turn his heart. It is possible to anger him in our sins. So he's not a stoic statue who does not respond or care about the things that happen in this world. No, the Bible paints him as a God that not only feels these things, but feels them with an intensity, with a fervor, with a zeal. We also might want to imagine God as one who doesn't feel these things intensely because we believe that God is slow to anger. We don't want to imagine him as a temperamental God, right? You don't want to walk into church and think, I hope he's not in one of his moods today because if I sing that line wrong in the bass line, I know how he's going to feel about it, right? He's, he, you can't push his buttons like that. And so we can easily move our hearts from he is slow to anger to he is not very angry and doesn't get angry. Um, but no, the Bible says very clearly he's slow to get there. But when he gets there, over sometimes thousands of years, he is there and you will know it. In fact, the Bible paints him as one who feels things with intensity through and through, and it uses this word zeal to do it. You may be curious to know the words jealousy or jealous and the word zeal in the Bible are the same word in the original. We split it into two concepts, but it was the same thing to them, just to feel something intensely. And all through the Bible, we see God painted this way. He feels things intensely. When he gives the Ten Commandments, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. And you shall not make a graven image to bow down and worship and serve it because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, right? So we say, I, I feel strongly about you, Israel. And so it's a big deal to me if you were to worship another God. The prophet Zechariah says, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with a great jealousy. All right, he feels a zealous love and loyalty for his people. So much that later in the prophecy we're looking at today, Isaiah will eventually cry up to God and say, God, let them see your zeal for your people. So his loyalty and love to us, he has a zealous loyalty and love for his people. But that's not the only thing he's serious about. And that's not the only thing that he is intense about. He is intense in his hatred for sin as well. The prophet Ezekiel says, And they will know that I am the Lord, that I have spoken in my jealousy when I spend my fury upon them. That's terrifying. The, the all-powerful Lord of hosts is not mild in his anger when he gets there. He is zealous and jealous in his anger when he gets there. And so he says in another point in Ezekiel, I have spoken in my hot jealousy. And he says in Zephaniah, in the fire of his jealousy, I'm sorry, in the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end he will make to the inhabitants of the earth. How, how terrifying that this all-powerful God, when he comes in his anger, it is hot. It is serious. 
And so we see that when he feels things, he feels them strongly. The love he feels for his people is a strong, intense love. His hatred for sin is a strong and intense hatred. And what we see when he comes to earth as a man is that Jesus is that same zealous God. He sees the house of the temple, which God had built for the worship of him, so he could be worshipped in it to be a house of prayer for him. Jesus sees in that house corrupt merchants ripping each other off, irreverent to the God who is dwelling there in their midst, and he gets fiery about it, right? He flips over tables, he drives out the money changers, he brings in the blind and the lame and blesses them, the children begin singing, and it says of him, it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. That same full of zeal God has come to earth as a man and Jesus shows himself to be that very same God. And so how did God become a man and save us? How could something so wonderful happen? The, The intense love of God for his people, the intense zeal that God has in his heart for us, that is how. Now, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you should walk out of here with all of the assurance in the world in your heart. Christian, if your faith is in Jesus, your salvation has all the passion and power of God behind it. Is there anything better to rest your hope in than the zealous love of our God? As Paul says, uh, he who gave his own son for us, how will he not also then graciously give us all things? Right? If he has that intense of a love and loyalty for his people, you can walk out so confident and assured. He loves me like that, and he will stay with me like that, and he will take me all the way home like that, because that is how this God feels about me. On the other hand, I wonder if some of you here this morning feel kind of indifferent about these things. Uh, I mean, it's possible to come to a Christmas Eve service because your mom drug you here or because you're in town and your dad wanted you to come, and here you are and you just can't wait to get out and go and eat some ham. Uh, A lot of times here in the suburbs when I'm trying to share the gospel with somebody, uh, I don't find very often that people are angry about the things of Jesus or oppose them strongly, but I do find often that people just don't care. Um, and maybe that's you. Maybe you're here this morning with an indifference in your heart about the good news. It's not something I need. It's not something I'm all that concerned about. And what I want you to understand, if that is you, is that the Lord feels very differently about you than you feel about him. Now, for those who rail against him in anger and oppose everything he does with zeal in their hearts, I can say to them, God feels about you in a similar but more intense way to how you feel about him. And to those who love the Lord their God with all their heart and all their soul and all their might and all their strength, I can say to you, the Lord feels about you very similarly to how you feel about him, but just more intense. But if you're indifferent to the things of God, if you just don't care, I can't say that to you. 
No, he feels strongly. He sees your sins against them, against him, and feels strongly about them. And he sees your need for forgiveness and your need for salvation and feels strongly about it. And with all of his heart, he desires you to turn from sin and come to him with all of your heart. And so I plead with you, would you feel about him the way that he feels about you? Would you seek him with the intensity with which he seeks you on this day? Would you put aside your pride and your indifference? And would you come to this God who has sent his son to save you? His name is Jesus and he is yours forever if you would have him. Now, for some of us who are Christians, it helps us with what I talked about earlier. Uh, because we believe these things are true, right? We know the Bible says them. We trust the Bible. We, we believe them. But it is hard to walk around day in and day out with a fervor and a zeal about this stuff. And some of us this morning, I wonder if some of you are feeling it and, and sensing it. You know, my love has grown a little cold for these things. I have become a little lukewarm. I'm not as passionate about these things as I should be. Well, the good news of this is that your God still feels very strongly about you. If we were to kind of draw an analogy, maybe there's a married couple that's been together for, I don't know, 20 years or so, and the wife begins to realize that her feelings for her husband are, are fading and they're growing cold. Or they're, you know, they're going to look warm for a little bit and then they're getting cold. And the day comes when they're having dinner together and there's not much talking and finally she just kind of admits it and says, dear, I, I don't know what to do about it. I'm sorry, but I, my feelings for you are just not what they were. What would help her come back and warm her heart toward him again more than if he were to say, well, darling, my love for you is as intense as it has ever been. And some of you may need to look to the Lord and say, my, my feelings, my zeal for you is not where it should be. Hear the Lord say back, in my zeal I came to save you. And I hold the same zeal in my heart even today. And let your heart warm back up to him. The same may be true for those of you who find yourself deep in a certain sin that you want to turn from, but oh, how do you even do that? Or in some kind of habitual sin, or you're here today and thinking to yourself, I really need to be in church more often. I don't go to church anymore. Those of you who need to turn back to him from something. Uh, the same analogy would work for the situation that, that you're in. Let's say that same couple, been together for 20 years, they're married, and they're at dinner one night, and she finally just admits to him, darling, I've, I've been unfaithful to you. I've, I've not been faithful to you as a wife. And they shed tears over it together. Uh, what would help her come back more than if he could earnestly look her in the eye and say, my love burns as hot for you as it has ever come back to me? And to those of you that are in sin and need to come back to the Lord, the Lord looks to you and he says, my love for you is as hot as it has ever been Come back to me. Turn from that sin and come back to him. For all of us, no matter where you are, if he loves us with that kind of a zeal, can you see how credible it is when he says to us, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength? 
Do you see that he does not say that because he's demanding? No, he says that because he wants you to feel about him the way that he feels about you. He says that because he wants you to act with a faithfulness to him that he has always and will always act toward you. And if you can see the fire burning in his heart, oh, you have what you need by the Spirit's power to love him with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all of your strength. And so the words that Jesus says to two of the churches in Revelation become very important. To one of the churches, he says, you got your doctrine right, and you're doing all sorts of stuff for me, but I have one thing against you. You've forgotten your first love. Therefore, be zealous and repent, right? Come back. And to another church, a very wealthy church, uh, he says, uh, you're neither hot nor cold, right? You're lukewarm. And because you're lukewarm, I'm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth, He loves us with a fervent, hot zeal, and he calls us to love him in the same way. Now, he's not quick to anger, and so if your heart is lukewarm toward him, it's not like he's going to take one little sip of you and spit you out and be done with you. No, he will hold lukewarm water in his mouth for a long time before he spits it out. But perhaps he has called you here today to call you back to a hot, zealous love for him as he has for you. In that way, our relationship with him is like a good marriage. It needs both faithfulness and strong feeling. He has shown that to us, church. And he calls us, will will we show it to him? Will we worship him with all that we have? Will we love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? As he has said to us, the zeal of the Lord of hosts. We'll do this. Let's pray together.